0: Episode of Grange TV. We have with us a very, very special guest, um, Mr. Stitch Duran, uh, Jacob Stitch Duran, uh, famous guy. I big, big fan of this guy. I wanted to actually, he, I never had the opportunity to work with him when, um, when I was working with Rob. Um, he, he was exiting as we were coming in. So well, Rob was already there, but he was exiting uh, with the UFC, which we'll probably speak about. But um, Man, absolute legend. He's done it all in, in the fight game. He's been in six movies, written two books, uh, worked on a million different cuts, million different types of fights, boxing, kickboxing, was in the Air Force, was a field worker. Um, man, this, uh, you've done it all. Um, thank you so much, Stitch, for joining us.
1: Well, no, thanks, Papishu. It's a pleasure, man. You know, we had a little chat before they started, as they say, in Hollywood in the green room, right? And, uh, so yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it, uh, I think we're gonna have a fun show, man. And you know, i will telling you, have stories, and you know, if you have any questions, I'll give you an answer.
0: Nah, man, well, I, I don't know, man. I, I guess the let, let's start with who, who's who's Jacob Duran and and when did he become Stitch Duran?
1: Yeah, well, Jacob Duran is. I'm still Jacob Duran, but it's funny that a lot of people don't even know my real name at this point, Fabricio, But you know, I grew up, like I said, I think you mentioned that in the intro. I grew up as a farm worker in the Central. Joaquin. Can you Waking. explain
0: that? Can you explain what yeah, a farm worker Yeah, in worker's? the San Joaquin
1: Valley of California. But a farm worker, are we're the guys that are picking the fruits and vegetables that you eat. eating. Uh, so uh, I grew up in, a, in in California, which is the Central Valley where I grew up, is the agricultural capital of the world. So they have just tons and tons of different vegetables and fruits and all that. And, and uh, we were the ones that were picking them and putting them up in the... Uh, in the stores. That's what my job until I got out of high school. So literally, that's what we did. Uh, but I was born and raised in what they call a migrant camp. And my address is uh, CBC number 12 for California Packing Company. Uh, but we literally lived in housing supplied by the uh, the owner of the, of the the crops. And we would work for him. And, and uh, you know, so I started off that like that. And, uh, you know, even though we had hard times, we always had plenty of fruits and vegetables. And you know, my parents would, you know, kill goats and, and cows. And so we always had meat, pigs and all that. So we, you know, we lived a com- comfortable life but very humble people. And uh, I joined the military in 1972. Uh, and they stationed me in Thailand in 1974. And, you know, when I got into the military, I always wanted to, I said, if I went to the Orient, I would want to study the martial arts. This was uh, during the Bruce Lee era. And uh, they stationed me in a place called Thailand shit. I didn't even know what Thailand was. This was uh, kind of like towards the end of the Vietnam War. And, and uh, but I saw my first Muay Thai fight and that following Monday I started training and they had Taekwondo, they had Koreans teaching the GIs and uh, the Koreans left and the Thais took over and they kind of transitioned us into the Muay Thai system. And you know, getting back to the States, I opened my own gym with kickboxing with uh, a credit card. And I was a trainer, I was a manager and promoter and and. A cut man, and being a cut man, kind of floated to the top. And twenty six years ago, I made the move to Las Vegas. Uh, then it was only boxing, and then
0: uh, the UFC came, and I started working both of them. So uh, here I am talking to you. Why did you gravitate towards being a cut man? How did you gravitate? Uh, I suppose.
1: Yeah, like I, said, I was, I was a trainer, and, and even when I when I moved to Las Vegas, I mean, because I worked with boxers also, and uh, when I moved to Las Vegas, I didn't come to be a trainer because. I thought all the great trainers in the world were here in Las Vegas. But as I saw guys doing pads or coaching guys, I thought, you know what? I I could do that. I've done that before, you know. So, but I always had a job. So I couldn't give you 150% of my time. Uh, and these were all professional fighters. So I they would hire me just to do hand pads. So I'd go and, you know, I've done pads for Mike Tyson and Johnny Tapp. A lot of guys, they would hire me for that. Uh, during my work. So I would sneak off of work and go do hand pads. uh, But being a cut man just kind of floated to the top because it was an individual effort. And one-on-one, I made a difference with fighters. So that was my main concentration. And uh, my first coming out fight in Las Vegas was Raul Marcus fought Keith Mullins. And Raul Marcus was the IBF, I think, super middleweight champion. And he ended up with five cuts, two big ones, two here, one on the nose and something like 70 stitches all together. And I kept them in the game. He defended his world title. And, and, uh, that just kind of put me in the forefront of who is this guy? And, uh, so that's how it started. And, and you yes, how the name stitch came. Well, when I had my school of kickboxing, do you remember the movie kickboxer with Jean-Claude Van Damme? I think everybody has seen it. Yeah. Well, Dennis election, Dennis Lectio, which was a kickboxer with the, the brother in the wheelchair. I used to work with him. And, uh, I also worked with one of his sparring partners, Dave Rooney, and uh, Dennis had a fight in California, and Dave Rooney was in the undercard. And he ended up with a small cut. Now, knowing cuts, as I know now, but I used to see cut men get tape and rip it up and then make butterflies. So I did that to Dave Rooney, and Dave says, hey, you send me some stitches, I'm going to call you Stitch. And from there, that name stuck. And, you know, years later, uh, they told me, David, somewhere like in Alaska as a fisherman, But I don't think he knows, or maybe he does realize how that name has really kind of changed my life.
0: Going back to you when you were when you were a uh, a farm worker, so you would you would work in the farm and you'd go to school. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We would. uh, You know, it's funny. That's that's a good question. Well, for the most part, the crops when they were ready to be picked were in the summertime, which worked out great. But in my little town of fifteen hundred people, which were all farm workers it would balloon up to about 5,000 because you would get farm workers coming in from Mexico, Arizona, California, Texas to come work the crops. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's where it started. And, you know, from there humble beginnings and uh, never forget where I came from. And that just kind of inspires me to this point to do what I do.
0: You wanted to be a baseball player?
1: Yeah, that was my game, man. I I love baseball and, uh, you know i played four years varsity ball but growing up as you know from little league i went up to did all the the different organizations as they went up and um being that i grew up in a small town uh, nobody really paid attention to us so i walked on to a college uh, in a town next nine miles away from our town our little town but i didn't have a car so i would go to school with friends and after school they would go home and i'd stay and i'd practice with the team and it was doing real good, you know, but then I would have to hitchhike home, right? So I did that for a little bit. And and being that I grew up as a farm worker and naive, I didn't know anything about grants and scholarships, talking to the coach. So I just joined the military and and uh, lost my opportunity. But when I got to Thailand, I'll never forget, we get there like 4 o'clock in the morning and all these, you know, I'm thinking I don't want to be in a combat zone, but I drive up and and it's the base for the B-52s where they would load them. Bombs go to Vietnam drop and come back. So all these jeeps are driving up to the plane with uh, guys in camouflage and 60 caliber machine guns and say what the hell am I doing here, right? So we go to the briefing and, and One of the first questions that the guy asks is anybody here play baseball? And I did a boom I said, ah. So I got days He gave me day shift and I uh, never got to play baseball because I studied the, the Muay Thai system But he probably thought oh man, I got me a Latino what position third base oh man give this guy days right and uh i never took advantage of it but uh uh, here i am in in martial arts
0: so when you got there um it was you were in thailand you were you started doing did you start doing muay thai or did or Uh, taekwondo right because the koreans were still there am i yeah they were there
1: for about i think two two or three months and i was there for a whole year and then they left and then the thais came in and 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 maybe it worked out great because my legs were real good by then. And then they transitioned us into more of the power shots and more of the techniques. And so we transitioned into the Muay Thai system, which was
0: nice. So you know. How how much Muay Thai did you do? Like how many years and and how often would you do it when you were stationed there?
1: Well, I did, I, I had my own school kickboxing when I got back. No, no, but, and, but
0: uh, while you were there, while you were stationed there well, that whole
1: year. That that whole year I ate, slept, and shit. Boy, <laughs> You know, I mean, literally, I, uh, uh, the, the, my instructors, we became friends and, you know, like I said, being that I was a, I was a cop, so we would guard the base and they would, let's say I was in the tower, uh, or I was in the gate out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I'd be stretching and I'd be, you know, and it was hot and humid anyway, but I'd be all soaked and wet just from working out on my own. And, but yeah, it's, uh, that whole year I dedicated my whole life to that. And, uh, uh that was, that was quite awesome because. Muay Thai was literally a non-existent sport in the United States. Nobody knew what it was. Everything was point karate. So
0: uh, uh, what so when you got back, you know, you said you started the gym and everything with the credit card. At what point did you go? This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go back home. I'm gonna open up a gym. I'm gonna open up a kickboxing gym.
1: It just happened. I had no intentions. <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't really know the system of what I'm doing now. It just it just happened actually when when i got back to the states i lived in oakland california and uh i met a guy there and and we walked out to uh, i got into boxing to improve my hands because the legs and knees, elbows everything was real good but i i wanted to round myself off so i got into boxing and from there i started outside of training i started training amateur boxing and uh that's where everything started progressing and when i moved out of oakland i moved to fairfield california uh, that's where I met Dennis Seleccio. He was in the gym training and, and he's slamming the bag with kicks and I'm slamming the bags with kicks And he don't know me and I I don't know him and uh, he came and introduced himself to me and from there I started being one of the trainers with Lagardo and from there I just you know, I, I was training world champions traveling the world and uh, That's how I learned to wrap hands and I learned to work cuts and and that just kind of floated to the top and uh, but yeah, I made the move to Vegas 26 years ago, you know, uh, picked up my family and moved and then took like a $25,000 year cut in pay just to move to Las Vegas to follow my dreams. My wife supported me. My kids supported me. And, you know, we went through hard times originally and uh, then things picked up. And, uh, you know, now I can say I can do this full time.
0: How many kids do you have, uh, Jake? Four.
1: I have four children, uh, five grandchildren. Uh, three of the kids live here in Las Vegas. Uh, and then one in Indianapolis. So, uh, you know, they all studied in the Marshall, excuse me. They all studied from kids in, in the gym that I had. And the gym is called ASK, uh, the American school of kickboxing. And, um, uh, uh, so Javier Mendes, which, which owns AKA, uh, I used to work with him when he was a champion, right? And, and when I left, uh, he opened up his gym and it was AKA. I said, Hey man, what are you trying to do? Follow my initials or what? You know, so I was the first guy with three initials. <laughs> so, <laughs> nonetheless, yeah. So you worked with with Javier your gym? Yeah, not in my gym. I worked with him as a cut man when he fought because he lived in San Jose. That was hour hour and a half away. But Scott Coker, which now is the president of Bellator, he used to promote kickboxing, and my fighters would always fight on his card. And 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 of course, Javier Mendes was part of Scott Coker's team, so I would always work uh, in his corner also as a cut man. So. Mm-hmm
0: what let's can we talk about the the whole thing with the reebok deal and that yeah sure. because sure. I, I remember um like I, we said off air i remember i was working with with rob at that stage and a couple of other fighters that that were that they were coming through and like um like Burt watson i i i always wanted to i like i like talking with people obviously i have my own podcast um and so i always wanted i like when people ask me who are the guys that you'd like to speak to I always like to speak to like the older dudes that have the stories, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. and that's, you know, I've always wanted to speak to you and to, to Bert and to a couple of other guys there. Um, but we didn't get a chance to work with you because I remember sitting down UFC speaking to us about what the deal was going to be for the fighters. And I remember cause I was sitting down with, with Rob and they were talking and we were just listening and then I could hear Mark Hunt. He was like, I've known Mark forever for like 20 years, you yeah. know, he's, he's like, he, you know, I've known him forever. And, but he was sitting at the back and all oh, you could hear like this, like it definitely was him, you know, cause it was a big Islander like voice just bang yeah. asking shit, you know, not happy at all. Um, and then not long after, you, you you were gone. You you spoke about it and, and then you were gone. So we never had a chance to work with you. So I guess that's where my thing is. But I want to know the mentality behind um, you speaking out. And I want to know what the conditions were because as we were talking, we don't have to get into numbers, but as, yeah, we, sure. as we were talking about off air, you know, there's all these rumors of what the cut men get paid, um, what the guys that wrap hands get paid. And honestly, man, like the, for people that don't know the guys, these guys that do this job, they, they, that do the cuts and wrap their hands. I don't know what they get paid, but to me, not, it's not enough because without you guys, there is no fight. Like, um, yeah. Can we, can we talk on that? Yeah, sure. Ask the first question, man. Just, um, let's go back to those. I don't know. What was it? Five, five years ago, five, six years ago. And what 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 was a cutman then? So what did you do? Like how how did you, you'd come in? You'd have your little vest on, and your vest would have all its sponsors yeah. and that, and you'd get, you get to work. And you were, there was you and a bunch of other well-known cutmen. But you were probably the not probably you were the most well-known cutman. So can you talk us through that transition pre reebok, post reebok, costs, benefits, etc. of working? Open in the question.
1: Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll go we'll go from square one. So I was working, uh, was talking about Scott Coker and, and uh he used to have uh strike. And, uh, he would always need fought in Vegas, he would always bring me in. Uh, but uh this one was uh K1 kickboxing at the Bellagio in Las Vegas and he brought me in at that time. The main event was Bob Sap and Chemo. And uh, Mike Tyson was in the audience and Dana was in the audience. I've known Dana for, you know, years before the UFC. Uh, he's the one that brought me in, but he, he asked me for my card. And the next day he says, you know, we bought the UFC. and uh, Would you like to be a cupman? man? And at that time, it was only Leon Tabs. Leon Tabs was the original Cupman man from UFC number one, right from Philadelphia. Oh, geezer. And I'll tell you, remind me to tell you a story when we're in Sydney. All right. At, all at right. a Chinese restaurant. So uh, anyway, so uh, they had brought in Burt Watson, which is a coordinator, and Burt Watson had worked with Joe Frazier, Don Kings. He was a behind-the-scenes man. So uh, I I thought, give Dana credit where credit is due, because he knew that MMA was such a new sport that coaches didn't know how to wrap hands or didn't know how to wear cuts. So he brought in professional boxing cutmen, myself and Leon Taps. and Burt Watson as the coordinator in the back. So Our job was to work the cuts for everybody in one corner and and wrap hands for those that uh, didn't know how to wrap hands. Well, it seems at that point, nobody knew how to wrap hands. So uh, we had a lot, Leon and I had a lot of guys to wrap. uh, So we brought in Don House as the third cut man. And uh, so Don House, Leon Tabs, Burt Watson and myself, this program that all MMA promotions use bringing in cut men, uh, doing the techniques that we have, that we established, we put those that program together, uh, which is the best and safest program to take care of a fighter. So all these other people that that work other organizations, if you notice them, they wear gloves, they got the the wrist wrap here where you put the swabs uh, there instead of in your mouth. You know, they they apply Vaseline here. You know, they all the techniques that we do, um, they implement, which is smart. Uh, in boxing, if you notice some of the guys. Uh, for some reason, they got that macho thing that they want to be identified as a cut man. So they'll put the swab in their mouth and they'll put it in their ear and all that is filthy. So we put that program together. And uh, and in doing that, then we started getting sponsors. One, one of my first sponsors was Zions. And Zions turned out to be one of the uh, companies that the UFC bought. But what I had done is I had put on my glove, I had put a sticker that said Zions right there. And as I'm working on the fighter's hands, uh, that was a prime location. But the UFC says uh, you can't do that because you created a prime location for these guys. Good idea. You know, uh, but nonetheless, you know, we started getting sponsors and, and we had my own T-shirts from uh, Bad Boy, from Tap Out, from One More Round. And so these were my sponsors as we went down the road. And, and then, of course, the Reebok deal came in. You know, fighters were making, I mean, I'm sure Rob was making, you know, 50000 100000 a fight. You know, If definitely now he would have, you know. Uh, but a lot of these guys were making more money in the, in the their sponsors than they were with the fights. Me as a cut man, the same. They were really paying us a lot uh, based on what we do with boxing and for one fighter, much less what we do for MMA, all the fighters. But I needed the UFC uh, for exposure to get – paid On sponsors, well, of course the Reebok deal came, and they and I think you went to attend that meeting where they showed all the new uniforms, and you know they introduced the program to you guys, and you know right off the bat, fighters hated it, coaches hated it, fans hated it, media hated it, uh, you know, and so on, and so on. Well, they did the same thing to the company. They got us together, and uh, and says you, know, you guys can't wear any more sponsors. So I tried to negotiate for everybody and get at least an increase in pay because the money they were paying was not sufficient. Uh, but they said there was no money, just the respect factor that they gave us. So John Nash from Bloody, Bloody Elbow called me, sent me a message and asked if I'd be interested in doing an interview on how the Reebok deal affected the cotton Well, growing up as a farm worker, I go back to those days when my parents were fighting about fight for unfair practices, you know, and, 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 and treating farm workers not as good as they should be treated and respected. So I thought about them. And so I did the interview and I think the interview was, in fact I know is very politically correct, but uh, maybe the point said that, uh, you know, I had to concentrate a little bit more on boxing because boxing pays a lot more to pay my bills. I'd pay my bills. Uh, well, anyway, that article went viral, bro, you know, all over the world. It just exploded and, and I'm getting messages and tons of messages. I mean, my phone is just going crazy, calls and, and offer, job offers. and uh, Well, there's before. I'm getting all these. And so I get a call. I'm at Costco with my wife, shopping. And one of my friends because we're all friends, right? And uh, he says, hey, do you have a moment to talk? And I knew what the conversation was going to be about. And I said, nah, you know, give me about an hour. I'm shopping. I'll give me an hour. Well, two of my friends called at that time. And one of them, his voice is cracking and the only thing he said is because of the interview you did about Reebok, the UFC is not going to use you no more. And, of course, it was, shh, no slap in the face, no punch. But I, I kind of held my ground, and I, I expected it. So I'm, I'm reading messages, and the first text that I read from a guy that's supporting me, now I know his name is David Estrada. I don't know where he's from or anything. I responded back to him, and I said, uh, you know, I want you to be the first to know the UFC let me go for speaking out about the Reebok deal. Now I've got to find a new job. And Fabricio, that shit went viral. Bang, everywhere, everywhere. One week I did like 57 interviews. I had camera crews coming to my house. It was the biggest thing in MMA. Uh, at Bad Boy, Robin Offner from Bad Boy, which was one of my sponsors at that time, called me uh, and uh, said, look, said we want to do something for you. We'd like to make a, a T-shirt for you. And all the proceeds go to you, you know. And at that time, I was driving to the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas to do a radio interview, uh, MMA Junkie Radio. And I had gotten so much positive feedback from you, so much that at that point, that energy level was so high because I'm in the back seat. I'm reading all my messages, and my son is driving, and my wife's in the front seat. And when he called me and told me that they were going to, they wanted to make a uh, shirt, I started crying, just because the energy was flowing so positive. And then another moment is uh, a friend of mine, Robbie uh, LeBlanc, that has a, a thing, Motivational Mondays, on, on YouTube or whatever it is. And he said, Well, today's topic will be about a good friend of mine who spoke out about unfair practices and lost his job as Jacob Stitch Duran. And he's giving me all these accolades, and I'm watching the video. Here we're in the same chair, the same spot that I'm talking to you. And once again, man, I start crying. And my wife walks in and She's looking at me because all this stuff is happening. She don't know what's happening, right? So I show her the video. She started crying. But that was all the positive message I got. And, you know, Rising gave me a call. And just so many companies uh, gave me a call. And, um, you know, at this point, as I look at it now, it's the best thing ever happened to me. And, and uh, I think what I did, I did for the sake of the little people. And, you know, I'm working these top rank shows, uh, ESPN shows here at the Mandalay Bay at the MGM, not the man's life, at the MGM. And a couple of weeks ago, Andres, which is one of the Brazilian coaches, uh, hadn't seen him in, since those moments. But he says, you know, he goes, Steve, she goes, I want you to know that you, you know, we as coaches and we as fighters couldn't speak out. You represented us because we couldn't speak out because we'd lose our jobs. But we have so much respect for you. And uh, that's been things that have been going on since, since then. You know, when I did the first Creed movie real quick is Wesley Snipes comes up to me after the movie and shakes my hand. He says, hey, the UFC did you wrong. So, you know, when Wesley Snipes came up to me, I knew that I I was in pretty good hands, and I knew that the world knew what I knew. So. And and uh, they, Karen Bryant asked Dana, well, what about Stitch? Is Stitch ever coming back? And he said, nah, Stitch will never be back. And that blew up in his face again. And that started the whole syndrome of F Dana, F Reebok, F UFC. And even the guy from Reebok called me, Fabricio. It was that crazy that he he says, hey, look, we had nothing to do with it. I just want to let you know you're a good man. You know, you've always so-and-so, but we had nothing to do with it. And I understood, you know. So, yeah, that's what happened, bro. So, you know, I always speak up for what you know is right. And, uh, you know, if – if it, you take a hit, you take a hit, you know, but I think I took one
0: for the team and uh, I think guys like Rob and, and just all these other guys will appreciate it. Uh, absolutely. And one of the questions I have here is can you take us through the life of a cut man? So, for example, why I say that is the guy goes in, he works a whole evening, but, you you know, you, and we're going to get into the whole thing in a second about like people don't understand. The guy's cut. Say somebody's cut here. Right, above the eyes, maybe where that little vein is and it's pouring out blood. You get in there, and and maybe you didn't see it get cut halfway through the round. Maybe he gets cut just before the bell. So you just you didn't even see him get cut. It's just bang, he gets it. You run in, he's split open. You've got one minute, not really a minute, you've got less than a minute because things so you get in there, you work on him, that guy's gone. You know, he—he, he, you either saved him or you didn't. You know what I mean? Or the—the the, the doctor's going to come in, and the doctor's going to say, can, you know? Can he see? Can he not see? Whatever." Da da da. You put adrenaline. You put vaseline on it. You got the the coaches there, like around you, going, "Fucking do it!" You know what I mean? Fix this. Yeah. The fighters going, "Man, fix this." You're out of there. You probably wrapped the dude's hands. Um, that's. I'm just trying to give people and understanding from what we see, what you guys do. And to me, every time I look at you, I'm like, I don't know what, i always think this when when I see the, the guys working on them, I always think whatever you're getting paid, it's not enough. And then I've heard all sorts of rumors about what they get paid. And it sounds like it get paid a lot, but I think like you need to have a very high level of specialized knowledge to be able to do that in a minute. You know, it's not it's it looks great but you need to really know what you're doing and so what i want to know is the life of a cut man are these guys able to just live off being a cut man doing that or or do these guys need to do other jobs are, are, is it enough money that they're getting paid from the ufc to support their families or not? I'm, not I'm not saying this to bag the ufc or anything i just want to know what's real what's facts you know what i mean well, that's-
1: that, that's a good question that's an excellent question really nobody's ever asked that but the answer is no you know this is this is a job that you have to do as a passion i'm probably the only cutman that i could say i could do this full-time and uh so you know these guys always have to have a job you know just not that much uh and and you're talking about the pay i would probably put myself out there and say that the ring girls get paid more than the cut man. and uh and that's probably a true honest statement
0: you know, so and in, in, in the UFC, I can say that, right? And uh really, so like the ring girls get because I know some of the ring girls get paid very little money. You, well, I'm talking about the, the ring girls in the UFC, right? 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 The
1: girls, the, the ring girls, and then you're probably talking definitely the top ones, right? Right? The right. And, and, uh, the. Oh, the okay, okay,
0: and, okay, 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 yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I I can almost guarantee you uh, uh, that they get paid more than the company. And, uh, and you know I've always said, I've made a lot of money for a lot of fighters, but you're right, you know when there's a situation, let me go back into the reason you're talking about the doctor. The reason that a doctor will stop a fight is when or a referee is when a fighter is at a disadvantage. That's always key number one, always number one, whether you know you're getting tapped out, whether you're knocked out, but whether you got a cut that's bad enough that is flowing into your eyes or you got swelling or your eyes is closed, that's when the doctor makes a determination whether you could continue or not. Our job is to minimize that, to eliminate that. And, and there's a lot of times where a doctor will let the cut man work based on the experience that the cut man has. So in other words, if you're a rookie cut man and you're working on a bad cut, the doctor knows that, or even your technique is wrong. Just because you're a cut man don't mean that you're good at it. Just because you wrap a good hand don't mean that you're a good cut man. And that, that I want to make that perfectly clear because hundreds and hundreds of people could wrap good hands, but not hundreds and hundreds of people could be good cut It's all based on the techniques that, uh, I tell you, that we put together. But the adrenaline chloride, 1-1000, that's the medication you put on a swab, into the cut, that's a vessel constrictor. So that closes up the blood vessels, you know. and But it's all based on technique. So, but that's a good question. And uh, yeah, I, and you know, like, when the UFC let me go, like I say, I tried to, because when they I would get sponsors, and they just say I had Bad Boy as my sponsor, Tap Out as my sponsor, you know, uh, one more round is my sponsor, I would go and negotiate for the other guys. Of course, they weren't going to get what I got paid, but they, you know, you get two or three different sponsors, them getting paid, you know, Leon Times bought himself a Cadillac, you know? so so you know what I got for these guys, I always represented them, and uh, when the UFC let us go. You know, I tried at least get an increase
0: in pay, and, and they said there was no money in the kitty, and you know, so that's where they're at now. So, so a guy like Leon Tabs or Don House, um would they have to have second jobs to supplement their income as cutmen? Yes, yes. What yes. what what do they do during like what are their jobs? Because I, I don't know if people know who these guys are, but um. Don House is like another, like another yeah. well-known cutman that you see in 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 the UFC, and so is Leon Tabs. Like they're the, the guys that you always see with the guys working their cuts and that. So, w- w- yeah. w- would they hold pads for people, or, or w- what? would their second jobs be? Well, well, yeah. Well, you know, keep in mind, in, in Leon Tabbs, and Leon Tabs is one legendary cutman.
1: And when when uh, the UFC had their one hundredth show. I tried to have him nominated for the Hall of Fame, but that never happened. But <laughs> anyway, Leon Taz worked with a lot of top boxers, Bernard Hopkins, you know, other boxers in the boxing industry. I'd say that paid more money than what the UFC pays a cutman, so he was self-sufficient in that. Same thing with Don House. You know, he trained a lot of fighters, but Don House was also a savant when it came to inventing stuff and creating stuff and and all that. So you know, they were they were they always had a different job. I always had a different job. I worked for corporate America for 23 years. You know, and and, and like, say, yes, remember, I was telling you, I, I was a trainer, but I didn't have the time to train fighters full time and give them 100% because I had a job. And it got to the point now where I was working enough, enough fights. You know, I averaged 40, 45 shows a year. And uh, with sponsors and all that, it became to the point where I couldn't give my job 100%, uh, so I had to make a determination. And uh, the company I was working with, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company, um, they downsized, so they bought me out for a year. They paid me for a whole year. So that was a good way, a good gate, a gateway for me to leave and, and concentrate fully on boxing. But we all had uh, jobs, you know, and uh, I'm blessed to the point now where I this is all I do. You know, so, well, this is what I do, but I do other projects. Yeah, yeah, That you know, bring yeah, in yeah. income. Like the the cut cream, the CBD cut cream, you know. I wrote a couple of books, and, you know. So there's things that I've created that, through my exposure, uh, that have helped economically.
0: I I have a question. Uh, sure, you do. You got a lot of questions. Yeah, I got to. That's, <laughs> that's why I got this show. But um, but uh, I guess also to put in perspective for people, did you worked Klitschko fight with Joshua? Yeah. That fight. Yes. That fight was was huge it was a massive fight etc 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 but klitschko got cut right and you had yes. to work on that cut now if you're not good at what you do that fight with all the media and all the millions of dollars that are being poured into that fight that fight's over you yeah know? And, and it's funny you say it. it's, it's funny you say that because as you look at the commentating i
1: don't think people knew he got cut till after you know, but he had a real, which is right. Yeah, right the there. Yeah, yeah. You yeah know, I, maybe they mentioned it once, but
0: it was never a factor. Well, for me, I I knew because I could see what like what you were doing. You know what I mean? Like I could, I saw you working, and I knew you weren't in there just for fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so I knew there was that it it was you know thing. And then afterwards, you realize how serious it was and where it was. You know, um, can you speak to what that's like working? with that pressure and working with someone like Klitschko versus Joshua, the magnitude of that fight, the, the kind of money that's being thrown around, like, you know, that creates that amount of pressure, you know, because it's one thing to stop a cut at a local police boys fight club, which is great, right. but it's another thing with, you know, what it, what it means. And every minute that that fight goes on, there's more live TV and more money being made. You know what I mean? So, there's so much pressure for that fight to continue because more eyes watching. Can you yeah. talk about that? Well,
1: it's, entertainment.
0: it's entertainment, but I'll give you a behind-the-scenes stuff. Please do. That,
1: which kind of gave you chills as I, as I explained it to you. So, you know, I've, I've been with Vladimir and Vitali for 12 years. And, and a great story because in 1990, I say 92, Vitali says 91, but when the show reunion first broke, we took a team of professional boxers and kickboxers to Kiev, Ukraine, to fight the Ukrainians. And at that time, I had Mark Longo, which was a kickboxer. So uh, th- then I got to see the klitschkos and they were young at that time, but they were already massive. They had billboards up in them, and so I got to see them at the event. The event was like a mega, mega event. It was the first professional combat sport fight that they that were authorized in the Ukraine after the Soviet Union broke. Uh, so I got to see them, but I never spoke to them and years later they came and trained in las vegas and i started speaking to them and, and they remembered the event and all that so if you remember vladimir klitschko did the movie oceans 11 with uh lennox lewis so i came on as his cut man in the movie right and then when uh, when he came out of uh when he lost his world title to Lehman brewster his first comeback fight he asked emmanuel stewart to get the guy that was a cut man in the movie uh so they brought me on board so the first fight I did with Vladimir Klitschko, when you talk about having confidence and and believing in you, um, he ended up with a – you're talking about that vein, right? He ended <laughs> up with a big cut here. He didn't look that good, but this is the worst cut because you had that big vein, and it's going to continue to bleed. I've worked on them before when Forrest Griffith fought Shogun. Same thing, right? So I, I understand those cuts, and they're extremely, extremely hard uh, to to control. Jay Heron, when he fought Jonathan Goulette. Bloodiest fight Ooh, ever worked. Anyway, so much blood.
0: Yeah, yeah, anyway. So,
1: with, with Vladimir, he ended up with that cut, and it was like in the fifth round. I knew he didn't look great, but I knew he was winning the fight. And I made the decision when he came and sat down. I told Vitaly and Vladimir, and Emmanuel couldn't hear, but I said, Look, you got a bad cut. You're winning the fight. I'm going to have the doctor stop the fight. So, when the doctor came in, she says, Well, what are you thinking? I've worked with her before, so she knows my capabilities. I went like this and I opened up. I said, it's pretty bad. She stopped the fight, went to the scorecards. Vladimir won the fight. And then, then he ended up winning the world title. But fast forward 10, 12 years later, Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko, biggest fight in a long time. 90,000 people, Wembley Stadium, all over the world. And uh, I didn't get into London until Thursday night because my daughter Carla had got married in the island of Crete on Wednesday. So right after the wedding, man, I had to leave. And, but I didn't see Vladimir Vitaly until uh, Friday at the weigh We're in the, in the green room waiting, waiting to get on the scale. And they've always had a lot of confidence, a lot of trust in me. And they knew if I said anything, it's always the truth, you know. But I'm talking to them. And finally, at the end, you know, I put my hand on Vladimir. And I say, you know, Vladimir, don't worry about nothing tomorrow. I'm going to take care of you like you're my son. And I'll tell you where that story came from, right? So I left him at that because I know what you know, Rob, the night before a fight, his head is running and his adrenaline's going up and it's going down. So I, I laid those final words on Vladimir and come fast forward into the fight right before Michael Buffer does the announcements. It's 90,000 people, all fans all over the world. I'm putting the final Vaseline on Vladimir. We're this far apart. And he says, you could call me son. But I knew that I had gotten into his mind the night before. And it turned out to be one of the greatest fights that he's ever said. He called me, you know, after the fight, hey, daddy, he goes, thank you. You know, he says it meant so much to me because it gave me that confidence to know that you were going to take care of me. And he says, you know, uh, uh, Stitch, of all the fights I've done in my career, I never got the respect like I did in this fight. And if you remember Balboa, when Rocky fought his last fight, which I was... In the corner of Antonio Tarver, the fans are saying "Rock, keep, rock, keep, rock, keep." While the fans in Wembley Stadium were saying "Please go, please go, please go." Talk about chills, brother! That was an epic moment. I had a great time.
0: And the the Klitschko brothers. For for I don't know if anyone that's watching this podcast doesn't know who they are. You probably shouldn't be watching. But um, the Klitschko brothers in Europe, though, are huge. They're like. They're massive. in In Germany, they they, it's probably the I think it's the highest rating thing on television. You know what I mean? Regardless of of anything, when when the glitch goes by it, it's it's through the roof. Ukraine, massive. So the guys that you're working on are like absolute superstars. They're like pride of a nation, basically. You know. Um, so that that's, yeah. I find that, yeah, it does give you chills, doesn't it? Like the the, I'm telling you. you know. what? But I tell you, you know, let me
1: add with them and closing with the Klitskos, is all the people I've worked with throughout my career being as high-profile as they are, now Vitaly is the mayor of Kiev, right? And Vladimir, of course, is Vladimir, but they were so humble and so respectful to everybody. The fans, everybody. They were respectful. The sparring partners, they would pay paying good money, you know, everybody. Uh, they were just top-of-the-line. They still are top-of-the-line people.
0: They, they, um, they seem to be like gentlemen, you know what I mean, and that is yeah. really the It's not just a persona; that is who they are.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's 100% natural. That's cool, man.
0: <laughs> that is very cool. I um, I wanted to ask you: Can you talk to us about the different types of cuts? Because yeah, it's not just again for people who don't know, it's not just you have a cut. There's different types of cuts. There's cuts that cut to the bone. There's cuts that cut right on the Right on the eyebrow, because you've got the bone here there's cuts that cut underneath the eye that might look bad that aren't as that aren't as um debilitating to a fight, but can you talk about can you talk about cuts? can you talk about the different yeah, types of quick, cuts and quick, working quick, within a minute with working within yeah, that minute yeah,
1: of course, but real quick I
0: gotta rewind a little bit and finish my story about Leon Tap. Oh,
1: please get see the Australia before I forget because I thought it was so great, man. So we're in a Chinese restaurant, we're eating, and you know those little hot, dry red peppers that they put in the food for flavoring? Well, I'm eating like this, and I look at Leon, and he's sweating bullets, man, just sweating bullets. And I think, Leon, what's wrong, what's wrong? He goes, man, these these are hot. I said, Leon, you're not supposed to eat them, brother. They're just there for the flavor. Man, he was sweating bullets, bro, I'm telling you. And I just, I laugh, you know how you laugh and your stomach hurts so much? Yeah, so yeah. So I had to throw that story out. That was my story in Sydney, Australia with Leon
0: Tanz. Where where was, uh, what, do you remember the
1: restaurant? Oh, no. Come on, man. It's too many places. Yeah.
0: yeah. that many places.
1: It was close to the docking areas and the downtown where we stayed at, you know, by the water and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't
0: tell you the name. That cause, cause the, but the reason because yeah, like, the, like, the reason I ask it is because it's like, there's some good like uh, Sichuan restaurants there in um, Chinatown, and yeah, yeah, man, the the food it, it gets you can buy it. It's so hot that if he ate those chilies like that, he'd.
1: Yeah.
0: That was funny, man.
1: <laughs> anyway, so so let's talk about cuts
0: because uh,
1: yeah, there are different kind of cuts and multiple cuts, and you know I always teach cutmen, I always prepare for the worst case scenario, and uh, but you know the cuts, the, the the number one cut that's the worst is that one right there. The one that has the big vein. If you pop that vein, it's gonna bleed. It's it's like a like a faucet. And I say the bloodiest fight I ever worked with Jay Haran, when he fought Jonathan Goulet. He took a knee right here and and just sliced that. The cut was only about this big, but he sliced that vein and it poured and poured and poured blood. So much blood that fighters had blood from the top of the head to the bottom of their feet. And so much blood that made me nauseated. Only time I've ever been nauseated. And and I knew it was gonna be a problem because. They asked me, "What well, Stitch, what do you think about the cut? No, no, he's all right, he's all right, you'll go one more round. So it, I mixed the adrenaline chloride, which is a vessel constrictor, uh, with adrenaline and or with vaseline, I'll mix that. First I'll apply the adrenaline, close the blood vessels, and then I'll apply the Vaseline with the adrenaline as the final topical. Well, I knew when I covered it, blood just spurted out of there like a like a like a dam. And I said, nah, it's, it's gonna be, it's not gonna go, you know, and uh, but that was the bloodiest fight ever. And, that ring mat is actually Randy Couture's gym. So that's the worst. You know, the, the ones right down here, like the one that, that, uh, that Vladimir Klitschko had when he fought Anthony Joshua, those are very, very tough also because the tissue is very, very thin. And then the blood, the only where that the blood could go is into the eyes. Same thing with this one. The blood will go into the eyes both ways. These down here, this one on the nose, is, there's no danger, no disadvantage. But, God, they're the hardest ones to stop because it's just nothing but cartilage. So it's very hard for those blood vessels to close. These down here are the least ones you have to worry about. Um, you know, the swallowing, same thing with the swallowing. But these, even though they look bad, you can't freak out on blood. Even though they look bad, they're not going to give a fighter a disadvantage. And I remember um, uh, Kenny Florian, when he fought Sean Sherk, I think Sherk gave him an elbow, and, and he got a cut in the head, and sugar's is on the bottom, and, and and Kenny Florian's on top. And uh, no, I take that back, reverse the, the yeah, yeah. Kenny Florian was on the bottom. Sean Shirk was on top. And Kenny had so much blood in his eye sockets because his eyes were, he was on the bottom. So when he got to me, it's the first time I ever worked with a fighter that had so much blood without getting cut, but I had to clean out his eyes. And I literally, I just kind of washed them down and wiped them out. And, and uh, so, yeah, there's different kinds of cuts, you know, uh, the head, those, some of them could be very dangerous or they could bleed. But they're not that bad, you know. So, like I said, the main thing is when the fighter is at disadvantage, that's
0: when you should really take care of the fighter and,
1: and give him that one more round or have the doctor stop
0: the fight. What about – have you ever had – dealt with really bad hematomas where you're like, what the fuck, you know, like I have to you, – you know, you know, you know, well, like real bad ones that you see sometimes. Have you dealt with them? Yeah. In, in
1: boxing, I worked with uh, Fernando Vargas when he fought Shane Mosley. He ended up with a big old hematoma. Oh, yes. And, and keep in mind now, whenever you get a hematoma, it's an accumulation of blood that forms, that makes the swelling, right? And uh, so the old thing again, the iron and, and, and trying to move it, it it's, a, it's an old myth because, and I'm not talking about smaller swelling. If you try to move that swelling away, you're going to move it into tissue that's not damaged. And then it comes back. And now instead of here, it's going to be a little bit bigger. Well, this hematoma. There's really nothing you could do outside of just hoping that his eyes just don't close completely.
0: So there's nothing you can do with a with a hematoma. No. no, the old cut me, Mick. That's bullshit. You
1: know, as a matter of fact, when I told when I did uh, uh, Creed, I, I told Stallone. I said, "Man, you know how many times I had to kind of correct that myth of cut me, Mick?" I said, "It doesn't happen. Number one, because we're not surgeons, and if you were, you'd be doing it in a dirt in a dirty facility." You know for infection and all that, but then you would also get blood in the eye, so why
0: would you do it? So that's that's a myth for all those that have seen the Rocky movies. <laughs> I, I was gonna ask you, have you had? I was about to ask you that. It's funny that you say that. Have you spoken with like Stallone, you know, and said to him, Look, uh, look, mate, there's a few of those things that aren't like exactly like what you said. Can you talk on that? Can you expand on that a little bit? Like Yeah, cut, I told them that. Cut me mid, you know, that, and, yeah. and other things. Like, uh, what was that like, talking with Stallone about that kind of stuff?
1: Oh, it was tremendous, you know. With him and Michael B. Jordan, I spent six weeks with him, one-on-one, you know, the three of us working together in the same team, and Michael B. Jordan every day, just him and I and, and his friend uh, uh, Royce wrapping his hands in the dressing room and just talking shit and all that. But, you know, Stallone in the first Creed movie, when I got the script, my name was Marcel. And I said, nah, man, I don't know anybody named Marcel, you know. But when it was time for Rocky to introduce the team to Adonis, he says, oh, this is Stitch. He's the best club man in Philadelphia. Man, Fabricio, deep inside my heart is going, yes, 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 you know. And I, and that was one, and, and and that was, you know. So he threw my name instead of Marcel. And then the second time we did the take, I like that one. They didn't use it. But he says, oh, this is Stitch. He's so good as a cup, man. He should have been a surgeon, you know? And I thought that was great lines, right? But the next day, I said, you know, Sly, I wanted to let you know, man. I want thank you for using my name. He says, no. He goes, it has to be authentic, you know? And that's the kind of guy, when I did Balboa, even though I was in in uh, Mason, the Lions corner, Antonio Tarver, I got to, Stallone wrote, directed, and acted in Balboa. And I got to see his work and, and he's a master of what he does, bro. You know, I can see why he, and he writes all his stuff, you know, and, but such a nice, nice, nice guy. Very giving guy. And uh, and he knows the game. And I, I told him, I was impressed with him in, in uh, Creed two when he started working the corners. And I said, for you not being in our game, you gave the right instructions with the right amount of time. You were talking about a one minute break. So he was very,
0: very astute at that, very impressive. Did and uh, Michael B. Jordan, your interactions with him, he was a good was he a good guy as well? Uh super guy, and and yeah, you know, and you know, with, with Sylvester Stallone, you know, name
1: three, four people that have said they've done three movies with Sylvester Stallone. I'm one of them, you know. So I, that always blows my mind. But Michael B. Jordan, yeah, what a nice kid, man. Super, super kid. You know, the the first creed. I, I I really guided him a lot on because I spent you know every morning wrapping his hands, and then throughout 16 hours of filming, it was him and I Sloan, and and the other guys. But I, I got a good liking to him, and and I I think about the fifth week of our training, I'm wrapping his hands. And I said, you know, uh, Michael, I'm gonna I'm gonna knight you as a fighter because everything that you've done, technique wise, uh, making the sport better just uh, the personality of you are a boxer, you are a fighter, you know. So I knighted him as a as a fighter and, you know, got along great. But on the second one, you know, same thing. I'm telling him, I said, you know, Michael, I'm, I'm so proud of you guys. You know, you and Tessa uh, uh, Thompson and uh, 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 Ryan Kugler, all of you young guys that have excelled in doing this. And he says, you know, Stitch, and like this, I'm talking to him like I'm talking to you, Fabricio. He says, you know, we've been, we went from actors to writers, producers, and directors. And he says, I'm directing Creed three, and you're with me as long as you want, you know. And I thought that was such an honorable thing. And, of course, then this stupid COVID kicked in for this year, because normally we would film, our parts would be March and April. And, uh, you know, I think we finished uh, like September or something like that, and, uh, or March and April. But, yeah, he had told me that, and then this COVID kicked in, so... I was telling my wife today, I got a feeling that I'm going to get a call uh, for
0: Creed 3 in December. So if, if that happens, you can say you heard it here for just oh. intuition. Awesome. Awesome. What's it like being in movies? Do you enjoy being in movies? Or do you, do you like being in movies? Or do you like still being in the corner and the nitty gritty, getting in there, doing the cuts? Well, in the movies, I'm doing the nitty gritty. I'm doing the cuts. Yeah, yeah. But do you enjoy let you being know, in I'll movies?
1: Yeah, I'm not an actor, brother. I'll tell you, I'll be first to tell you I'm not an actor. So it's easy doing what I do, right? Uh, because it's what I do. Let me fix this here. Uh, but yeah, I love that. How, how can you not love being, you know, into somebody else's world doing what we do in our world? And like Ryan Coogler that wrote and directed the uh, Creed, and he's also directed Black Panther. Young kid. At that time, he was 27, 28 years old from Oakland. And I lived in Oakland, right? But I told him, I said, you know, Ryan, if I see something that's not correct, authentic, I'm going to let you know. He goes, Stitch, we welcome you. We brought you in for that, you know. And when I did Creed II, uh, during one of the – the first day I got there, I'm watching a film. And and uh, Victor, which is Ivan Drago's son, is doing his scene where he knocks out a guy. And, and the guy's down on the ground. And, you know, they have, have ex- extras as, as doctors, but the guy picked his head up. And he has the, the flashlight on his on his eyes. I said, and I told the director, I said, you know what, that's not right, man. Because when a guy gets knocked out like that, yeah, you could check his eyes, but you don't want to move him because you don't know what kind of injury he has. So they redid that scene, bro. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, so I helped them. Yeah, you know. But like I told him, you know, you're representing our sport, you know, and I want to make sure that this sport is
0: that this movie is done as authentic as it can be. And they welcome that. I I want to ask you with all the experience you've had, everything that you did, what what advice would you give 30 year old, uh, Jacob? Uh, well, like I tell
1: a lot of other people, what I would tell Jacob is continue following your dreams because they do come true, you know? And, and I look at myself, I'm always that little kid that was a farm worker, Arbisha, you know, that, that is my motivation because basically I came from the dirts of the field, you know? And, and, uh, where I'm at now, I I appreciate every moment that, that I'm here. Uh, but it's been because I followed my dreams, you know, and, and I've always, you know, mentally, I've always told myself, if it don't work out, I know, at least I can know how to pick peaches and tomato and cotton and figs, cotton. You know, I know how to do that. So that's always been my mindset and, you know, and, but that's the way my family has always been is to go forward. You know, when you start at the bottom, it's easier to go to the top than starting at the top and then trying to stay there.
0: If you if you um like now when people look at it, yeah, everything's worked out great. Like when you look at it from the outside, even I spoke to Bert Watson a couple of weeks ago, same deal. Um when you look at Bert, you're like, Yeah, he had it all figured out. But in your life, what was if you had to pick the worst setbacks that you've had, but that may or may not have become actually blessings in disguise. Would you be able to pinpoint some of your worst setbacks and, and what, and did they become a positive?
1: Yeah, no, I've been, I've been real blessed, Barbijo on on the the path that, you know, I've walked on. Uh, But I remember when I first moved to Las Vegas, and I've been here 26 years, my my brother, Michael lived, lived here in Las Vegas and we didn't live far from him. Uh, But he came to the house one time and, And my wife was crying, you know, and he thought maybe we got in a fight. But uh, at that point, I couldn't pay my rent, you know. So he lent me some money. And uh, from there, I never looked back, you know, and and I paid him back and I paid him with interest. Uh, But that was, you know, that was hard at that point, you know. Uh, But that's been it, you know, I mean, all the other stuff I could put up with, you know. But that was, to me, that was a a defining moment in my life where uh, I didn't have to look back because, I was blessed to be doing the things that I was doing, uh, but I created a lot of that, you know, on a marketing aspect. Uh, and I've always been a marketing savant, working with R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company for twenty-three years in sales and marketing. But always, just always having that 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 uh, mentality of how to maximize, how to maximize. Uh, and you know, I've continued doing that. I've, I've built up some programs. Uh, there's, um, you know, the Maloney brothers from Australia, right? Yeah, 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 of course. I, I work with them here. Uh, both Jason and Andrew, um, when they fought here. Uh, All the times that they fought, great, great kids, man. You know, they've become family, but uh, uh, Andrew, in the first fight when he lost his world title, ended up with a bunch of bruising and and all that. Well, I'm working with a CBD company uh, and they created a cream for cuts for the eating process. After you get cut, then you apply it and it has stem cell and vitamin E and collagen and of course CBD. And, and other things. And when they contacted me, they asked, you know, well, I asked them, well, what proof source do you have? Because everybody has CBD now. And they said, well, that's what we called you. So I said, all right, well, I'm working the bare knuckle fights also, which is a new revitalized sport here in the States. But it's a great sport because they all get cut. I was about so, to
0: ask you that. Those are my next questions. Funny. Go on. Yeah.
1: So, so I, I talked to Jay Timms, which is with CBD, to go with me to Florida. And as these fighters get cut, They get sewn up in the dressing room. He takes a picture of them. He gives them the cream. They apply it every day. And a week later, they send us a picture. So the the results have been excellent. Anyway, Andrew Maloney had a big old, uh, just bruised up big time. And I gave him the cream. And a week later, he uh, sent me the response. And it was tremendous. So I'm working with them also. You know, uh, in fact, I'll I'll show you real quick. I don't know if you can see it. That's (laughs) Jacob. That's Jason, right? Yeah. And and a week week later, look at him. Handsome young man. Really? So, yeah. So the product works big time. And uh,
0: what's the name of the product exactly again, if you say it again?
1: Yeah. It's it's right here, the Cut Cream. Awesome. Uh, Stitch being my name. uh, So I'm endorsing them. Uh, I'm part of the program there. So, uh, yeah. You know, and I'm going to start doing the marketing for them. But I encourage everybody, you know, uh, just in case that's going to be my motto is, you know, get the cut cream just in case, you know, cause once you get cut, then you could apply it and then, uh, and it just helps the, the healing process. Uh, let me see here. So, yeah, so I've been working on that. Uh, one more round, which was one of my, one of my sponsors before when I did, uh, the YouTubers with KSI and Logan Paul, Yeah, uh, Mark Zucker. Yeah. Mark Zucker, uh, uh, saw me and we reunited and, and we started the, uh, The relaunching of one more round, and then the stupid COVID kicked in. But once it kicks out, the next year we're going to be going back with uh, 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 one more round. And uh, so yeah, so you know, I've I've, I've been blessed with doing a lot of the uh, uh, the nice things, and
0: you know, I just keep keep going forward. What's the difference with um, bare knuckles versus, say, MMA versus boxing cuts? Like the difference. Obviously, bare knuckle. There's more cuts, but are they different types of cuts between the different types of gloves?
1: Yeah, we have like multiple, multiple you know cuts. Jason Knight, I think when he fought when he fought, uh, I can't remember. I think yeah, I thought he had ten cuts on him. He ended up with like twelve cuts, and then Ardom was jacked up too. And uh, so, cuts are multiple, and and they and they happen though. There's only too many rounds; they happen right away and. I can see the punch. When it comes back, you can see the slit, and you can see them, uh, you can see them bleeding already. So so those are real b- multiple. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can find a picture. Uh, but MMA, the cuts are deeper because, you know, elbows or knees or something like that. Uh, but, you know, they're multiple also. Uh, but you just, you know, you have to learn how to work on all of them, you know, and uh, that's what makes this fun. But it's, it's fun working the bare-knuckle fights. I can't find it, but. Yeah, Jason Knight had uh, he had like twelve cuts. Was, I remember Jason first, Knight's
0: face was like a mess.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: They had a they have a rule
1: which I think MMA needs to apply uh, because cuts are inevitable. But they have a ruling where if a guy gets, they're gonna get cut. But if it's multiple cuts or it's affecting them, the referee can call timeout. They bring him to me, and the doctor's next to me, and I have thirty seconds to clean him up, and the doctor has those thirty seconds to evaluate whether he could continue or not. And I think that's a good rule. So, uh, yeah,
0: it's fun working.
1: Is but it, being this COVID, I'm staying home.
0: Is it harder to work on all those small cuts versus the big, deep cuts in MMA?
1: No, no, no. It's, uh, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the small cuts, uh, direct pressure works well. You know, because how many times have you got cut, Fabi, and you put your your finger yeah. on the cut, and a bit later it stops bleeding because blood coagulates itself and, as long as you understand those, you, you go after the primary ones. You go after the ones that are going to, you know, give that fighter a disadvantage. So you have to evaluate that. But there's times when I'm, you know, I got my hand, I'm, I'm working on five cuts.
0: Okay. Um, I want to ask you another thing is uh, what, what's been the best investments you've made, whether it's in, in terms of, could be financial, could be education, could be time whatever but what's if you if you had to think about some of the best investments you've made in your life well yeah that's that's a very good question
1: and i think uh, uh giving back uh, educating i think you know if if ever you know when i leave uh, this this game when i retire you know what do they what do i want people to know me as as uh making this game better changing it making it safer through education uh and that's the legacy i want to leave because Going back when I when I was learning to be a cut man, when I still lived in, in California, I went to a boxing show, uh, and this guy did a good job on cuts, and I went over there, and I said, you know, I'm trying to learn to be a cut man. Can you tell me what you did? And he says, hey, fuck you. He goes, I'm taking this to my grave, and you got to learn like me. And he walked away, and Barbisha, I felt about this big, and I said, I'm never going to be like this man. Fuck, what a good so, guy! Yeah, yeah, that was kind of it. It was only boxing at that time, right? So being a martial artist, of course, we're always, our mentality is different than boxers. So my whole object has been to teach. And, uh, you know, that's why I put out some videos and, you know, I've done seminars and, and all that. But people ask me questions all the time. I try to answer them. So going back to that is my reward is, is what I leave.
0: Okay. Do you, have, um, do you have a course or anything like an, uh, a course that people can do, can go and see you and do do this course to be a certified cut man? Do you have something like that?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I, I've put a couple of videos, out. giving the fighter one more round that's available at cutmanforhiresupplies.com. In fact, all you coaches and, and, uh, cut men, uh, I recommend going to cutmanforhiresupplies.com because Juan Ramirez carries everything that we need and, and the best of the best. Right. Uh, but no, so I, there's a video I put there. Uh, I made one years ago, uh, and I've done seminars, but, uh, with the schedule that I've had, I love doing seminars, but I just can't lock anything down. Right,
0: because right. Because I get a
1: call. Uh, but if any, you know, anybody has any questions, I always try to answer them.
0: You know why I say this because I'm a, I was, I'm a teacher, like a teacher college and that. I haven't been, I've stopped now last couple of years, but I, I did for years. And I was thinking, if you did like some sort of like course, even if it was like an online course, where people could be certified to do to to be a cutman or something like that or certified to finish the course. Cause you're not going to be a sort certi- of certified cutman just by doing the course. But I think that, that, that like, fuck, I'd sign up to that. That's an interesting thing. Like to learn from someone like you with a wealth of knowledge that you have, um, you know, to, to have an actual course, you know, how, like, um, there's the referees course now and everything, you know what I mean? Before yeah. they never really had that. And, um, there's like big John McCarthy has his referees course. And then I think like someone like you having like a cutman's course, like that would be, cause I, I would do it even, even if I never was going to be a, 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 a cut man, which I don't know. I'm, you know, never say never, but even if I wasn't just from a, a coach's perspective, even from a fighter's perspective, you'd want to know, well, where do I want to hit these guys flush? You know, to a lot of these guys, I can guarantee you no matter their level, they wouldn't have they'd know that if I hit the guy here, I'm going to fuck him up, but they don't know that yeah. there's a vein that goes straight through there that the cut man's not going to fix so I yeah, think, I, yeah, and I, I think that that's such an interesting thing if 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 there was some sort of course like that, like that would be interesting.
1: Yeah you know what and my son-in-law is is in, uh, in, in TV and radio and he has his own shop. I'm going to talk to him about that. I think that's easy to do and I think I think I'll do that. You know, I'm going to take you up on that, bro, and and you'll be uh, you'll be one of the first ones to know. So,
0: yeah, I think that's a good idea. But dude, yeah, if you I, do it, uh, I'll be one of the first ones to sign up.
1: I promise yeah, you that.
0: But you know, and you brought up a point because I always
1: say my analogy is is a, a coach will show a fighter how to fight, but nobody shows a coach how to take care of the fighter. That's and true as well. Uh, I think I'll do that. I, I you know I have time with all this going on, and but I think uh, I know understand now everything is social media and uh, uh i think maybe i will get on that bandwagon yeah thanks that's... for the information no, man, thanks for the drive. <laughs> but you know that's you know let me say that that's the way it shit happens to me for is to this point i've never asked for one job i swear i've never asked for one job i'm just a real proud mexican right and uh but ideas like this and and that's something that falls within something that i could do and uh
0: And, yeah, and, and take advantage of the social media stuff. So I'm gonna work on that today. No, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, now, nah, man. I, as soon as you do it, I'll, I'll, I will sign up to do that because that that seems like a, a a very good thing. I'd I'd love to learn that. That's something that I've always wanted to learn. To be honest with you. Um, yeah, I think it's a good idea because now you you mentioned the the name certified. I, I'm not a big
1: proponent of that because some. Oh yeah, I I study stitches seminar, I'm a cut man now. Well no, you're not a cut man. And like I say, just because you wrap a good hand doesn't make you a cut man. And and I've worked with different youth boxers because they had cut men that wrapped hands but didn't wear cuts and when they got cut they didn't know what to do. You know, so there is a difference in that.
0: Yeah I think I think that that's the same as like when you get the level level one coaching accreditation, you know. And I think like that doesn't make you a coach. I can go I can go do a level one coaching certification for tennis right now. And that doesn't make me Roger Federer or Roger Federer's coach yeah. or, or whoever. But I think um, there is also a difference between saying, no, this doesn't make me a certified cut man, but it does make me mean that I, I completed Stitch's course, you know what I mean? And, and if I've completed Stitcher's course, and if I do an additional 200 hours, uh, I can be a level one cut man. And if I do stitches second course plus an additional two hundred hours, I am now level two and level three cut man I can work X amount of fights, you know, and then maybe you could have that as um a tiering system throughout like you know what I mean? To work UFC for example, to work U of C K one all the top tier, you've got to be a level three cut man and you can only get that by A, B, C and D. Um I yeah, think- and,
1: and, 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 it's okay to
0: do the books and
1: do the videos, but unfortunately our job is, is you go to be in there through through being right in there. Yeah. You know, 100%. and but I think I, I think I like your analogy and you know, I can always leave a question booth open for questions because people are gonna have questions and I'll have answers. You know, so uh in that aspect, yeah, you know, you gotta you just gotta be careful who you choose and and like triple G, I work with Triple G, right? Well, he's fighting December the 19th in Florida, but I, I'm not going because of the COVID. I just, I don't trust the, the flying. So they asked me who would I recommend. And I recommended Paul Quirido that he's worked with me in MMA and he's worked with me in bare-knuckle fights. But I also told him, if you look at the movie Creed two, he's the cup man for the Russians. So he's worked with Russians before. But my point to that, Fabricio, is, and I told him, I said, look, I would always recommend a guy that's had MMA and bare knuckle fight experience as a cut man because, because you work in boxing, don't mean you're going to get cuts all the time, and and these guys have gotten
0: cuts, so that's that's who I recommend. Oh that's awesome, um, Stitch. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I really, really, really appreciate you doing the this this podcast. Where can people reach you? How can people um, get to you? What projects do you have coming up? And yeah.
1: Yeah, well, you know it. Uh, thanks, I appreciate it. Good interview. Thanks, I really had a good time.
0: Uh, but
1: uh, I'm at Stitch Duran, and I always re- return, you know, messages and all that. But uh, definitely recommend to everybody, the coaches and and men, to go to uh, Cutman for higher supplies. You know, if you're gonna do it, do it the right way. And Juan Ramirez uh, has the products that are A one. And <clears throat> I have my own Stitch Premium line the Stitch Tape and, and the the K O Swell. And, you know, I was selling it myself, but I was traveling so much, for Barbicio, that I didn't want to get orders out late. So through a dream, I had a dream that Juan Ramirez, the in for hire, was carrying my products. So I called him and I said, would you be interested in carrying my products? And of course, you know, just the association. So he's he's carrying my products. I, I'm exclusive with him because such a good guy. And, and I told him my job is for you to grow your company and, and live happily ever after. So Come in for higher supplies, and they're also going to be having uh, the cut cream. They're going to have a page on their website as to where you could get the cut cream. But I would recommend all coaches to have it just in case, because your fighter's going to get cut one way or the other. You know, and uh, one more round, we expect to see one more round come out strong uh, in in the new year. And right now, we're we're filming a documentary based on my book. The book is called From the Fields to the Garden, uh, and that's available at Amazon.com. The Phil's growing up as a farm worker, and my goal was to make it to Madison Square Garden. Uh, so <clears throat> there's a documentary being, being filmed right now based on my life. And, you know, they're looking at, you know, the high spots, Netflix and, you know, uh, Showtime, HBO and all that. So uh, that's coming out in the new
0: year. But thanks for having me on board, bro. Man. Having a good time. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, man. Hopefully we'll we'll speak again, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, well, I expect
1: you to get me on. I've got to tell you that. That's only the, ash, the
0: tip of the iceberg road stories.
1: I tell you, nobody has stories like I do. No
0: and I love believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, my man. Well, all the best, visual. Thank you, sir. Thank you.